Do you wish that you could spend less time editing? Yes, I do too. And if you said no, you're lying. To make your editing life easier, let's talk about our podcast sponsor today, Filter Pixel. Filter Pixel is an AI culling application that helps you organize your photos post shoot. It's literally so fast and it'll automatically select your best photos based on focus and eye quality. I've been using Filter Pixel and not only does it load my RAWs so fast, it also sorts my photos within minutes. Yes, minutes. Filter Pixel sorts my photos into different categories so I can know which photos have issues and which don't. And it even creates tags based on the pose and the type of photo. So it will do a tag like perfect focus, dancing, and even hugs. Once you start using Filter Pixel, you're going to have so many less culling hours that you're going to have more happy hours. Go to filterpixel.com and use the code OSHOOT for 10% off. That's filterpixel.com for 10% off. It'll also be linked in the description. So much everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Oh Shoot. Today's episode is going to be a good one because we are talking all things legal with Paige Hulse. So I have Paige here and we're going to be talking, like I said, all things legal. I know this is like a very well sought after episode, so I'm very excited to talk to Paige today. So Paige, say hi, tell everyone who you are and what you do. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I promise, um, even though we are talking about the law, I will do everything I can to make this not boring and okay. answer a lot of these questions that people hopefully uh, don't even realize that they they need to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just quick background. My name is Paige Hulse. I'm an attorney based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I started my law firm back in 2017 after working as a business litigator for a few years and just to make a very long story short there, I had a, um, I needed a way to counterbalance the stress of being in, in the courtroom all day. Okay. Picked up calligraphy. <laughs> of oh, <all> that's funny. <laughs> just doing that in the evening, just to kind of unwind. And that led me into the creative world. It was the same time I was getting married. All my friends were getting married. So got to mm. meet a lot of wedding professionals and, um, realized there was a massive, um, when it came to the law, the intersection of law and the creative world, right. a lot of attorneys don't even know what a creative entrepreneur is. <laughs> and, and then, you know, when you're like a photographer, for example, you have, you have a God given skill, you have that talent, mm-hmm. you start a business, not necessarily because you went to business school. So, right. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Branched off and started my firm back in 2017, which became the law firm, and then later on the, the creative law shop as well. But I'll, I can okay. get into that a little bit more later on. <laughs> right. And so your law firm is specifically for small businesses then from what I've like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Specifically. So in right now I, I practice primarily trademark law through my law firm. I practice at contract law still selectively with, with certain entrepreneurs and small businesses. Um, a lot of mergers and acquisitions, purchase and sales of businesses and that that's super fun stuff. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, as you know, like you said, there, there's a lack of just like legal knowledge within, Mm -hmm. honestly, I would say entrepreneurship in general. Like I just feel like when you're an entrepreneur, you're kind of just going and doing it and crossing your fingers and hoping that nothing bad happens. So I think just like talking about how to cover your butt and those things that you'll need legally. I think that's just, you know, it's just something that every single entrepreneur struggles with because chances are, if you're an entrepreneur, you're probably not a lawyer, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And, And I'd even argue that it's, it's your job to ask the questions, you know, but it's, it's not your job to try to go figure all that out on your own. You can't DIY the law and (laughs) no, I've, I've yet to meet an entrepreneur that is just, you know, rolling in free time. Right. <laughs> so your job is to hone your skill, hone your craft and 
do that work. And mm-hmm. anyways, so obviously I could go on and on about that. Um, right, right. <laughs> so, and yeah, when it comes to creatives in the law, I mean, I can't even tell you some of the stories that attorneys, some of the things attorneys said to me when I said I was starting my law firm and attorneys yeah. do not understand what the creative world is most yeah. of the time. So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're here because it sounds like you're the perfect person to be talking to about this topic, which is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> cool. So let's get into some questions. Um, I have like, basically I tried to think when I was like, you know, thinking out about this episode, I was like, I want to put myself in the brain of like a beginner photographer who literally has no idea what to ask. And I just put those questions out on paper and I'm just going to ask you them and see kind of like your answers on them. Um, So my first question is why is it important for photographers and small businesses to have a contract? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) A couple things I'll say about this. Uh, actually, let me, let me back up before I get into all this. I (laughs) make sure I'm staying legal myself. Um, Mm -hmm. so just as a very general disclaimer, everything I'm going to talk about today is for just general educational purposes. And if anybody listening has any follow-up questions, um, highly recommend that you seek out the advice of an attorney in your state. So Sorry, I have to, have to throw that in there. Absolutely. Well, getting back to your question, why photographers need contracts? Well, first of all, a contract is just a, think of it as a written memorandum of what the two parties are agreeing to. So if when you don't have a contract, not only can you run into a lot of hot water, but you're assuming, assuming, and you know what they say about assumptions, you are assuming that you and your client are exactly on the same page and you've communicated everything properly, communicated mm-hmm. everything properly. Now, how often in real life does that actually, <laughs> does that actually happen? Um, especially when it comes to photography, most of the time I would argue, um, I mean, aside from business owners that maybe need brand shoots pretty frequently, a lot of people aren't hiring photographers on a regular basis. It's usually for special events or something like that. And so you have to overcome a certain element of a hurdle in terms of managing client expectations and just making sure that both parties are completely, again, completely on the same page with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a quick aside there, I remember when I was, when I was in the process of uh, planning my wedding and I was just dead set on having a film photographer because I love photography and love film Mm -hmm. photography. And when my then fiance now husband found out, like he had no idea what film photography was. (laughs) And so think of, you know, those types of scenarios where I had to educate him, (laughs) but but also if we hadn't had a clear client agreement, he would have been like, what are we getting? Why, why is, why does the film take so much longer to come back? You know, those types of Mm -hmm. questions. Um, so that's, that's a brief answer. Mm-hmm. One other thing I want to throw in there though, as well, anytime we're talking about running a business, especially in the wedding industry, we have to always think about third-party liability. And the reason why I say, especially in the wedding industry is because whenever, and I know that some people listening, you may not be working in the wedding industry, you may just be doing shoots and, and other things. But mm-hmm. when you're working with other um, service providers or other vendors at something like a wedding, things can happen. <laughs> the more people we have involved, just things can happen. That's the best way to say it. Right. And you don't want to be on the hook for something that maybe say a wedding planner did that you get blamed for. Um, right. and I can get into plenty of examples <laughs> there, but I'll, I'll cap it at that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, then when you don't have a contract in place, um, what are some of the things that can result from not having a contract. So kind of the other end of it, like what are some of the fallouts that happen Mm -hmm. as a result of that? Just so the people listening can understand like the seriousness of like the whole deal. No, that's a, it's a great question because I get, especially when people are first starting a business or even, I mean, just that this is why I mentioned myself with the calligraphy thing earlier. Um, and I'll throw myself under the bus. I, for a while, didn't realize I had a side business going. 
-hmm. it was one of those things where I was just doing it for fun and every now and then making some extra money type of deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a business attorney. I need to run this like a business. I forgot. Right. So <laughs> going. So if you're if you're just starting out, you're just picking up your camera, you're just um, taking some photos for friends and just kind of getting, you know, dipping a toe in mm-hmm. you. It's going to be if you don't have a contract in place and something goes wrong and the part, you know there's a falling out of some sort. If you don't have a contract, you're still on the hook for promises made. So what happens in those cases is people can use emails and you end up in front of a judge, which if you're in front of a judge, then you've had to hire an attorney most likely at this point and things are Mm -hmm. getting expensive already. Mm -hmm. Um, But the judge is, and I've seen it happen. The judge is going to sit there and read through all the emails and see piece together the agreement that the parties arrived at. Um, same thing with text messages, phone calls, all of that. You can actually, and I'm again speaking from the perspective of an Oklahoma attorney, but I know this is true in other jurisdictions as well. Um, you can end up with a verbal contract without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. So you can, if you don't have an actual valid contract in place, you can accidentally put yourself in a position of over promising and again, it's expensive to unravel that in court. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So basically all of that to say the contract is where we need to land as photographers. (laughs) Yes, it it is. And it's, it's one of, obviously I'm not going to hide my bias. I'm, I'm a business attorney. So like, of course I'm going (laughs) to, I have to admit that I would say that no matter what. But I will say I have seen it, especially, especially after COVID, this has always been true, but especially in the time that we're in right now with the massive boom and weddings and just the wild industry that we're in, it is going to be so much more cost efficient and not to mention the, just the emotional side of dealing with difficult situations and all of that that comes into play. It's going to be so much more cost efficient to start with a contract, make sure it's right the first time. And then you don't have to go back and, and worry about it with every single client Mm -hmm. later on. And it's something that can end up saving you so much money in court. Right. And I think that's something that like as an entrepreneur, you think like, Oh, let me go, you know, get a contract template. Oh my gosh. It's like so expensive. Well, I'll just kind of DIY something, but then the money that it is going to save you in the long run by having a contract that's going to save you from going to court and, you know, protecting you from all of that. Mm-hmm. Like that actually is the most budget friendly thing to do. Although in the moment it doesn't seem like it because, you know, templates can be expensive Absolutely. or, you know, contracts are a little bit more expensive, but it does save you in the long run. Plus, like you mentioned emotionally, like, like there's so much value in just like mentally being in a good state. And you know, if, if a client decides that they're going to take legal action against you, that is something that's going to take a toll on you for weeks, you know, and that's time and energy in your mind that you can't get back. And I know like when things affect me like that, it's affecting like my like everyday life, like my conversations with my family and like, I'm always complaining and I'm just in a bad mood all the time. And, you know, that's something you don't think about, too. Like, that's 100% one of the consequences of not backing yourself up legally to begin with. That's exactly right. And I also, and I'm obviously not a a photographer, not a photographer myself, but when you're dealing with that type of, any type of scenario like what you're describing, Mm -hmm. that's going to rob you of some of your creativity. Like, it just seems like it just inherent. I don't know how it couldn't, I guess. No, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a, prof- a professional photographer myself <laughs> by any means, so I can't speak to that too much, but just something to keep in mind. And, and going back to briefly to something that you mentioned earlier, you're exactly right. Like the templates that we have in the shop, I'll be the first to say they're not cheap, mm-hmm. but they're the templates. Those are the contracts that I wrote for myself. Literally when I hired my own photographer, I wrote the contract and then I took my name out and I put it in the shop. Mm-hmm. The reason why I mention that is because when, and I see this, I see the retroactive side. I see the side where people email me at two in the morning, having a panic attack because they 
just got a demand letter because they went, you know, they pulled a free template online or something like that. And now they're getting threatened with a lawsuit. Attorneys can sniff out a fake or poor contract. I can tell you in under 10 seconds. I mean, it's, right. it is insane how quickly I can spot it. And it's not because mm-hmm. I'm special. It's just every, anyone that's reading contracts all day, it's easy. Right. And there've been times where it's, even though my clients tried to do the right thing, but they were trying to, they were trying to do the right thing in their mind from a business perspective and save money upfront. So they just pulled something free online, kind of cobbled it together, got by with it for a little while. Mm-hmm. That ends up, it, it ends up not only not protecting you, but it can actually bring more liability to your doorstep, which from a tangible, just practical level means you don't really have a leg to stand on, which means that if somebody, if an attorney is sending you a cease and desist or a demand letter threatening a lawsuit, they'll take you to court and they'll, I mean, because they know that they have a good case against you. So all that to say, if you have a strong contract there, the argument can usually be shut down within that demand letter stage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's get into contracts then. Um, <laughs> let's talk about them. So one of the big questions that I wanted to ask you was what sort of things should be included in a photography contract? Um, and I was thinking like weddings and sessions, which like weddings are definitely like more extensive than sessions, mm-hmm. but just like general things that you can think of, um, what what sort of things would you suggest be included in a photography contract. Absolutely. So I could, for, um, before I actually answer this question, I just wanted to quickly mention also, I have um, on the shop's website, I have a contract checklist okay. and I actually use my photography contract to write it, but it literally, it's a bullet point list. It's just a free download people can find in our, okay. in our resources awesome. library that, that shows every single paragraph that your contract should have. Um, okay. And again, I don't think I say that anywhere, but it's based off of my wedding photography okay yeah and <laughs> i'll i'll link your website in the description too so everyone can access like all the things that we're talking about basically so yeah I okay got you. perfect um so okay getting into actually what i when i'm talking to my when i'm looking at my uh, photography clients contracts in particular when i'm thinking of you all i'm thinking of three three components specifically so they're going to be your your contract should be longer. Your contract should be probably four to six pages, honestly, at least. But the three things that I think of most when it comes to photography all have to do with a money, (laughs) how you're getting paid. And I'll come back to that because that's, that's a pretty meaty topic. Mm -hmm. The second component that I always want you to think about is your intellectual property. Um, because within the creative industry, well, I shouldn't say you're one of the only, but, but photography is the best is a prime example of every single time you are clicking your, your shutter button on your camera. You are actually creating a copyrightable work of authorship that is recognized by us copyright laws. You need to know how to protect that. You need to know what you need to be clear about who owns it, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll again, come back to that. The third component that I always think of is going to be termination and how those termination, just the steps, the procedure, how all of that should be mapped out. And as you can imagine, lots to say about this as well. Um, after, Mm -hmm. after COVID and just all of that. Um, so (laughs) please stop me at any point in time, because I'll kind of dissect these a little bit, um, per topic and interrupt me at any time with any questions. Okay. Okay. So our payment provisions, when it comes to, um, and I'll break this up into both sessions. Um, so whether that be like lifestyle or a brand shoot or something like that, and then wedding photography, lifestyle, or just an individual session. I'm okay with people breaking up their payments into two payments of 50%. When I say I, I mean case law supports right. um, that. That would be one of the few times that I'm okay with this because the duration of the relationship is shorter. Um, when a judge is looking at 
any sort of dispute in front of them regarding payments, especially, and I've represented a lot of photographers in court and this all, this comes up every single time. They're going to look at the contract and they're going to, they can't, a judge isn't going to be able to say whether or not somebody's fee is um, too high or too low. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. They're mm-hmm. going to make sure that the contract has laid out for the client, what they're getting charged, whether or not that amount was refundable and why they are being charged that amount. So you'll find, and I think this is free language we have on the shop's website as well, but in every single photography contract that I write, we list out that, I call it an initial payment section, just because some states require you to call it a deposit or a retainer. And it's easier to just call it an initial payment. Okay. But I list out the amount that the client has to pay at the, again, for that first payment. I specifically state that it's non-transferable and non-refundable. So Mm -hmm. they can't transfer this contract to somebody else. They can never, um, they can't get it. Theoretically, they can't ever get a refund if they just ghost you or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I also have a line in there that states that the client understands by signing this agreement that they are reserving a spot on your calendar, which in and of itself is worth that is worth money. And that Mm -hmm. is why you were owed this initial payment. Right. Um, when it comes to weddings, I want to highly encourage, and I get, I get a lot of backlash on this, on this point, but (laughs) I just, I've seen it so much in court. Um, I want to encourage you to break up your payments into at least three payments of 33% or four payments of 25%. Part of, Part of this is because the relationship that you're, the client relationship that you're going to have is most likely going to be, it's going to be longer. I mean, usually people are hiring a photographer, what, six to 12 months out. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's one element. The other element, going back to our example of what happens in court, let me just tell you, it's not fun when a judge looks at you and says, explain to me why you were owed. 50% 50% of the work of the payment for the work that you were going to complete a year from now. You haven't done anything yet. And this is hard in particular for my, well, hard for me <laughs> um, with, when it comes to my photography clients or videography clients in particular, because again, going back to how the legal profession does not understand the creative world. So, unfortunately, so many judges and so just, the prevailing attitude is that a photographer just shows up and snaps a few photos. Nobody sees what happens on the backside and the fact mm-hmm. that you, you know, you know what, you actually do a little bit of work. Before <laughs> do we? I've, I've been told, and I, I say that facetiously. I'm, I, I mean, I'm on the defense side of these arguments always. So right. I say that tongue in cheek, but it really gets me going, obviously. Um, <laughs> But that, that is just that that's the argument that's going to come up. And so a judge is going to, they are going to sit there and they're going to tell you if you'd spaced out your payments, it would be more equitable. And a judge is always going to look at what's equitable between, between the parties. So what's fair between the parties. Um, the final note that I'll make on payments is no matter how great the client relationship is, we, and I sound jaded saying this, but regardless, no matter how great the client relationship is, we always have to prepare ourselves to, um, to know how we're going to handle it. If the relationship does fall apart or Mm. if the wedding gets called off or whatever that may be, when you have multiple payments, you're going to put yourself in a, or multiple installments, I should say, you're going to put yourself in a better negotiating position in terms Mm. of what refund is, um, applicable, what, what they're entitled to, what they aren't entitled to. And it's just, you're going to end up with more money in your pocket. I can almost, I'm a lawyer, so I can't promise anything, but I can almost guarantee you, you will, you will end up with more money in your pocket. It's literally the difference between playing. You go from playing a game of checkers to a game of chess from a negotiation mm-hmm. standpoint. Okay. Um, that's a lot about payments. Do you have, is there, I did think of a question. So when you were talking about breaking up the payments, mm-hmm. I know you mentioned like doing at least three, but what if you did like a, like less on that first payment and then a majority due closer That's to the date? Question. 
that is a fantastic question. And that's something I encourage people to do. Okay. Um, I I've seen contracts that, I mean, I've seen the whole gambit. I just, my personal, like non-legal, but business owner opinion, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. peanut gallery opinion that I have here. (laughs) It's your, I think it, because so many other professionals, especially in the wedding space, don't do that. It makes you look better. It makes your clients happier when they don't have to. People need to remember that clients are booking all of these vendors at the same time and sending right. out in one week all of these checks at the same time. If yeah. you look like the agreeable person who's not asking for so much upfront, mm-hmm. um, that's I think that's just going to go that's going to help smooth the <laughs> smooth, it's, smooth the relationship, um, especially, and I don't mean to just talk about weddings, but especially in the wedding space mm-hmm. when it's a couple getting married. So using right. my husband and I as an example, I was like, sure, I'll pay whatever. I really want this film photographer. And mm-hmm. he was like, well, let's budget out. And let's, you know, let's, he would have, that would have been something that would have been good for him. Um, so just, yeah, that's a great question. And when it comes to what numbers and when to charge them. Um, it, that there's no, I can't in all honesty say from a legal perspective that there is a right or a wrong. The only mm-hmm. defined wrong is 50% payments. Okay. Beginning one at the very end. Yes. And honestly, like, like you're saying, just from the business side of things, I actually stopped doing 50% as a deposit mm-hmm. a really long time ago because I, as my prices got higher, mm-hmm. I just felt like that was such a huge chunk of change. Yeah. And I was like, I feel bad taking all this money right now because like it, that is a lot. Like if you're charging like three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, like that's a huge deposit. And I think it's even more accessible to do that lower amount. And then, you know, the rest is due closer to the wedding date, which you get paid anyway. So like really, why does it matter like you do you do some work before the wedding or you know the session but honestly all the work is most of the work is on the wedding day and then after so like as long as you're getting paid at some point before that date like it really shouldn't you know that's that's exactly my opinion as well it's I I can I could get very opinionated about that but (laughs) you don't want to look like a penny pincher to your clients right yeah that's just so yeah, I, I'm completely with you on that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it does. And this is, this is <laughs> wording taken straight from a court case. I had a COVID case I had, but the judge literally looked at my client who had had the 50% deposit and said, tell me how that's not arbitrary. Like prove it, prove that you earned it at, you know, mm-hmm. in January when the wedding was supposed to happen in June, prove it. And Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about a deer in the headlights moment. You're going to have to be able to provide a, usually I I would require like a spreadsheet with a broken down cost, you know, itemized cost list showing, and that's a whole other thing, but showing exactly how much, you know, you pay a second shooter if you have them, what you pay for your client management system, any insurance, just all of, all of the costs that are involved. So, wow. Wow. Yeah, that would be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Gets very technical. Um, And that kind of, do you, any other questions on that or? No, no. That kind of dovetails perfectly into um, talking about termination, which is again, one of the critical components in a photography agreement in particular, I would, I would argue Um, one, because in your termination agreement or I'm sorry, your termination provision this is one of the things that I can flag immediately to show me if somebody's used a, just a free cheap template or, you know, a subpar template or something like that. Mm-hmm. If your cancellation or termination provision is just a couple sentences long and just says that the parties can terminate the contract, at, you know, with whatever, how many days notice that's, that's not enough. <laughs> that yeah. is not enough. Um, you need to spell out everything that you can spell out in the contract is going to save you time in a negotiation. So if you can spell out in the contract, for example, that, and this is what I have clients that do celebrity weddings all the time. And this is, this is what those photography clients do. And so why not do the same thing? Mm -hmm. Uh, They spell out in their termination section, exactly how much the client would be allowed to be refunded, if anything, depending um, 
they set milestones within the contract. So for example, let's say that the, let's say that the client signed the contract in January and let's say the weddings in June, a six month, um, a six month period. Mm-hmm. Even though the contract says payments are non-refundable, we all know that clients will, if they do terminate the contract, they're going to try to ignore that word or they'll have some argument against it. So what I see those celebrity wedding photographers doing is they set out milestones. For example, if the contract is terminated in February, the client will be, you know, let off the hook for future payments after signing a cancellation agreement, um, for, March, they set it out, you know, month by month, whatever. They don't need to spell out every month, but you can set your own milestones. And if you want to, you can set set out that clients um, that you would make an exception for, you would make an exception for the non-refundability language that you have if a client signs a cancellation agreement within a certain amount of time. That's, and the reason why I mentioned that is because, um, again, I don't mean to talk about COVID so much, but all of those COVID cases that I had, every single, every single breach of contract case that I had for the wedding industry revolved around what payments were refundable or not. And every single time my clients had not used a cancellation agreement or a termination agreement, the judge looked at us and said, well, you can't prove that you can't prove that they actually did try to cancel the contract. Now that was a different type of, of, um, it sounds funny to say it right now, but that was a different type of scenario because with COVID it was, we were trying to make the argument that the clients canceled before the state, you know, shut down Mm -hmm. all of the weddings. Mm -hmm. Um, but judges are going to look for a cancellation or termination agreement. Clients, know this, maybe not every client, but the higher tier clients, like the, the more business savvy, the clients, and I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way, but mm-hmm. when you're working with, um, a celebrity, for example, who maybe has, you know, they probably have a few attorneys on staff. They probably have just all sorts of things like that. Um, mm-hmm. they're going to know immediately that if they don't sign a, t- a cancellation agreement, they can, they can squeak by, <clears throat> excuse me, they can squeak by and find another example or another reason to tell the judge that they couldn't work with you for that event. Um, right. so the easiest way to, and so what I'm getting at there is if you don't have that specified in the contract, most of the time I have yet to see a time where somebody has been able to, I've heard of it, but I haven't personally negotiated one where a client was able to send their client a cancellation agreement after the fact. And the client was like, okay, yeah, I'm happy to sign it. It's just not how it usually works. But if in our contract, we, we create kind of a carrot and a stick type of scenario, meaning they're incentivized to sign a cancellation agreement or a termination Mm -hmm. agreement. And they're incentivized by the financial aspect. There's no other leverage really that you have at that point. Um, that's going to be able to save you. I mean, that, that is a beautiful spot to be in a negotiation when it comes to terminations. So mm-hmm. that's a very, very long winded explanation. I apologize, <laughs> but when it comes to your termination agreement, make sure that you specify what happens to the money and when that happens, mm-hmm. make sure you specify what happens if, um, they cancel on you or, if you cancel on them, if there's any difference between the two, specify what happens if the event is canceled for forces outside of your control. This is your force majeure agreement mm-hmm. or uh, provision, I mean. And then um, you can also, and I, I prefer this, but you can also have a provision in there that that is referred to as an option to cure provision. So that means if they're claiming that you breached the contract in some way, you have you know, two weeks to rectify that, that alleged breach before the contract actually gets canceled, just kind of gets you a little bit more space. With film photography being so popular nowadays, I'm very excited to introduce you to our sponsor, PhotoVision. PhotoVision is a third-generation film lab who scans your rolls of film for you. They produce consistent and quality scans, and they even offer custom color correction for your scans. 
If you know me, I've been getting into film photography lately, and I just sent off two rolls of film to PhotoVision. They're so easy to work with, and you can literally tell that they know what they're doing when it comes to film. They even offer film education on their website, so it helps newbies like me better understand what the heck they're doing. PhotoVision is family-owned, which we love, and their customer service is amazing. They want everyone they work with to feel valued and supported, which honestly, that's how I felt when I've worked with them. PhotoVision is your film processing experts since 1968, and they have an exclusive offer for Oshoot listeners. Get one free roll of signature process and scans using the code OSHOOT at checkout. That's OSHOOT with no spaces at checkout, which will also be linked in the description. Go check it out. Yeah. No, that all that makes sense. And I absolutely like this is terrible, but I kind of forgot how much COVID impacted the wedding industry. I honestly think I'm just like scarred from it. Like, I think it was just like I wiped it from my brain because I'm like, that was such a horrible time. Mm -hmm. Um, So just hearing you kind of talk through the importance of that. I feel like every photographer now in hindsight is like, that is the first thing that they make sure is set in stone in the contract because like that, that hurts so many photographers in 2020 and 2021. So it's just like, we've learned, you know, like it just, it it gets you. So no, that was a really good explanation. You're, you're exactly right on that. And it's, but I've also, I've seen it and I don't mean this from a fear mongering perspective, but I see people get really, they get really like honed in kind of like you were saying about, COVID in particular, and they make sure that COVID's mentioned in the contract and they, they don't look at the rest of the like termination cancellation proceedings. And so that's what I want to caution people with right now. And this is just kind of as a, a business aside, as you can imagine, being an attorney for entrepreneurs, specifically creative entrepreneurs was, uh, I can't even tell you what life was like in 2020. Every single, I had 84 missed calls by 10 a.m. on the first day of the shutdown with, I mean, it was just, it was mayhem. Yeah. Every single one of them were a breach of contract issues. So that's why I'm talking about all of this so much. What's happened since then, and I, I want anyone listening to take note of this. We are experiencing the biggest entrepreneurial business boom in the history of the United States right now. Mm -hmm. Um, we broke, so 2020 actually broke a record. Um, I think it was 4.4 million new businesses were applied for. And 2021, the number is like 5.2. I mean, we blew past the previous record. So what I'm seeing right now at the time of this recording, a lot of people are a year, a year to 18 months into starting to having their business and the cracks are starting to show. And that paired with the, how busy the wedding industry is right now, this Mm -hmm. is a time. And I I say all this just because this is the time, if you were ever going to, that you really need to make sure that this side, the legal side of your business is buttoned up just because I don't want, I don't want anyone listening to for those, those cracks (laughs) that that I see showing. I don't want that to impact you. So this is the warning. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. And honestly, like if you don't have like a, an up to snuff contract, like maybe you found a free template or whatever that like in booking any clients that you book with that contract, like that contract stays with them. So, and that lasts for like a year or like a year and a half, depending how far you book out. So it's like, you really have to take action now to get things straightened out because like the effects of you, letting things get, you know, loosen up with your contract in the past, like that affects you for like multiple months in the future until those projects are complete, Um, which, which is hard. So you really want to make sure that you're doing it right now, right after you listen to this episode, you know, there's, I can't imagine there's nothing more awkward in my mind than, than if you have just a real simple, you know, free, especially like the templates that come with the client management systems, they're free for a reason. Do not even, <laughs> don't even go there. But people that, you know, have templates like that or contracts like that, and then they end up up leveling their contracts and they send their new contracts to their client, asking the client, Hey, can we just sign this one? Um, you know, how, whatever, however they phrase that basically to replace the one that we previously signed. 
And when you go from, a, you know, a two page simple document to all of a sudden like a six page legit document, your client's going to be like, whoa, 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 <laughs> what's going on? Why, why are we, why is this so different all of a sudden? Um, right. I just, that's not as negotiating spot I would want to be in. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, my next question for you is, um, do you need a contract if the client that you're working with isn't paying you? So I know photographers will do model calls, you know, mm -hmm. things to build their portfolio in that, in that sense. So mm -hmm. what would be your um, opinion on that? Yeah, this is, um, it's, funny. I had a friend over the other day taking some photos for me, <laughs> one of my very, very dear friends. And, um, if I'm being honest, we, we didn't use a contract that time. And afterwards <laughs> I was, I was laughing with her and I was like, whoops, that was my bad. <laughs> uh, but so yes, you, and it's not just because I'm so biased, but you, even if they're not paying you, you need a contract for a couple of reasons. One with photographers in particular, and this is something I can't say to other service providers necessarily. Um, but you have to have the express permission of whomever you're photographing. Like you need to have that covered in writing in some way, because if you don't, I mean, it, it sounds absolutely asinine, but I've seen it happen where they didn't, people didn't use a contract for a model call or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the shoot goes viral and then the model or whomever it is comes back and says, well, I can't prove or you can't prove that you actually asked my permission to submit those photos to the magazine that went viral. I'm owed, you owe me, you know, $10,000 or just something like that. Mm -hmm. um, because you're photographing people typically, and even if you're not, but be specifically when you're photographing people in any way, you need to be very, very clear about your right to do so. Um, because you fall under something in tort law called misappropriation of, of likeness. We want to, we don't want you to be accused of that. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so with that being said, you, you do need to have a contract. It does not have to be this long, arduous, expensive legalese filled document. Um, especially if you're doing like a styled shoot or, um, you know, any, any sort of shoot regarding a, a model call in particular, mm -hmm. but you, you need at least a model release. Okay. You do need to have a styled shoot agreement, but I digress. <laughs> I digress there, but you always need to use a model release. Um, and your clients will also need a print release as well. To, okay. Or they should to, pr to print photos from a professional photographer. That's whoever's printing them is supposed to require that. Right. And keep that in mind. Yes. There's actually, um, so there's a software or like it's a website called pick time that I used to deliver mm -hmm. my photos and they actually let you like insert your print release mm -hmm. and like just, it's just like a PDF and you can just like literally like attach it to every single gallery. So anytime anyone downloads anything, they get that print release automatically. So it's like, so you easy. really, yeah, you can do it so easily. Like there's not really any, you don't have to think about it. Like once it's uploaded. So yeah. that's something that you just do once and you don't worry about again. You exactly. Know? From a client perspective too. It's just, it's, it just makes the whole thing easier. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah. It, it, when it comes also, when it comes to photographs in particular, not to, not to be redundant with what I was just saying, but when it comes to photographs that could be, you know, they, I mean, even if you're not publishing them, even if you're not sending them or submitting them to magazines or anything like that, if they're online anywhere, whether that's in your portfolio, uh, which could be considered Instagram as well, or just on your website in general, they can be misappropriated. I mean, copycats abound and we all know that. So mm -hmm. if you're the photo that you took of somebody gets swiped from your website, even without your permission, um, and is used against the, whoever it was that you photographs wishes, then you don't want to be in a position where they, where you, that liability falls back on you. And it's not right. that you're hanging that person out to dry. It's just, you have to be clear about who owns what and what was agreed to. 
Okay. I have some what if questions for you because I feel like legally it's always like, like the whole, everything with legal is just like, what if this, like you have to think of like literally every single what if scenario ever basically. So that's what I'm doing here. I wanted to ask you, what should a photographer do if a client violates their contract? Um, So like what steps should a photographer do? Immediately document it. So that's if when somebody's coming to me, this is a a quick story just to help illustrate this point. Mm -hmm. I had a photography, well, he's actually a videographer, but regardless, I have a Mm -hmm. videography client who was shooting a wedding. Um, I won't say when, but obviously post COVID because the groom and the groomsmen all came down with COVID did not tell anybody at the wedding. And then I can't make this up. And then obviously infected everybody at the wedding, including my client. And so then it became a a whole thing of pointing fingers of who infected. Just, I was a mess, an absolute mess. So he was smart and he immediately documented it by that. I mean, he literally emailed me from his phone at the wedding and said, I'm worried about X, Y, Z. So if something, if a client violates anything, it's probably, they're probably not going to be so egregious as to like send you an email documenting what they've done wrong. (laughs) Right. Usually not. Um, so if, if it's like a phone call or something and they say, I don't know, they say like, well, we're not going to pay you on this date or something like that. Yeah. That's a bad excuse, but, or a bad example, but you know where I'm going with that. Um, I want you to immediately send them a follow-up email saying, Hey, you know, just to reiterate what we spoke about on the phone, X, Y, Z, like, this is what we discussed. This is what I said. I just want to make sure that we document this for, for our files. Um, because anytime, anytime those type of what if situations escalate, I immediately am going to ask for every, and you, you know, if that happens and somebody's coming to me, I immediately will ask for every single piece of paper, proof of evidence that possibly exists, including text messages and all of all of those types of things. So document. Okay. Yes. That's That's great advice. Um, and then my second, what if scenario is what if a client threatens to take you to court? What should a photographer do then? If they threaten to take, okay. So if they threaten <laughs> to take you to court, um, again, mo- I would assume or presume I, I would say that this is typically, this threat will typically happen on a phone call. Again, Sometimes they'll email you, but usually not. So same answer as before, send a follow-up email, reiterating what you discussed in the call, or if it is an email, um, I don't want you, here's what I see people do wrong. They start trying to immediately argue with the client as to why the client's wrong and they misstate something. And that comes back to bite them later on in a negotiation. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do if a client threatens to sue you is obviously save, save that correspondence, however you can, whether that be you emailing the confirmation or you emailing them after the phone call or just screenshot the email, just in case you never know. Um, and then unfortunately you do need to contact a lawyer Mm -hmm. and you need to uh, contact a lawyer, even if you're not in a position where you can hire somebody or, um, well, let me, let me back up actually and, and change something. When it comes to running any sort of photography business, we need to, we're business owners first. We need to look at the dollars and cents of something. If somebody's threatening to sue you over, let's say, uh, I don't know, let's say a brand shoot maybe that, and they paid you only like $500 for -hmm. this shoot. It is not worth your money and your time to fight it and hire an attorney to do so. Just in my opinion, you're going to blow through, you're going to blow through that amount in attorney's fees within the first letter back to them. Um, so if you're in a position where you do decide that, you know what, looking at that, my resources, my time, emotional, financial resources, I don't want to deal with this. I'd rather just give them their money back and walk away from it. That's fine. But you need to make sure that both parties enter into a settlement agreement because you okay. don't want to capitulate with their demands and give them a refund and then say, 
well, you know what? You refunded me, but I feel like I was damaged emotionally. And so now you owe me another $10,000. You need to be able to have a clear stopping point to what they're entitled to. So if you do want to, I don't want to say roll over in a derogatory way. Sometimes that's the most strategic thing that you could possibly do. But if you do decide to roll over, if a client's threatening to sue you, enter into a settlement agreement. If it's something that you are willing and you can fight, um, you need to contact an attorney, show them what's happened. Hopefully you're going to contact somebody ethical who can point blank say, and I have this conversation with people a lot where I say, you know what? I know this sucks. I know that they are wrong. I know that they are essentially robbing you, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to do the same thing by, especially if it's somebody that has like a family attorney friend that they're probably getting free help from. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the same thing to my clients and put them in a position where they're just digging the hole deeper. Right. Um, that's the really hard side of the law, but it's, it can be true sometimes. So contact yeah. an attorney and get a honest answer. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So my, the last thing that I wanted to ask you, um, and you can literally take this whatever direction you want. I wanted to just get like, any like tips or helpful things that you feel like would be helpful for a photographer to know that they might not know when it comes to legal things. It can be literally anything, but if you find yourself like saying things a lot to photographers or whatever, like I just kind of wanted to open the floor for you to just spread that knowledge around. I guess I can take this and run with it (laughs) because you can imagine there are a few things, um, a few things that come to mind. So I have two answers to this and I feel like we've, we've pretty thoroughly discussed contracts. So if you're still listening to this and you're not sure if you need a contract or not, I feel like I can definitively say, yes, you need a contract. But moving on from that topic, um, I want, I I have this conversation with so many photographers, (laughs) you need to form an LLC at least for your, typically an LLC is what you need, but you need to look at the entity the actual legal entity of your business by any money exchanging hands, the government looks at you as a sole proprietor, whether you realize it or not, that provides you with absolutely zero, absolutely zero liability protection at all. Um, and I have people argue with me all the time and they say, well, I'm a sole proprietor. I'm fine. It's like, no, that's, that literally means nothing. That means nothing. That means that if I wanted to sue you, cause I don't like the photos you took, I'll sue you for a hundred thousand dollars because I know your house is worth a hundred thousand dollars. Like, I mean, good. That's what that means. So get an LLC in most States. It's extremely, extremely cost affordable. For example, in Oklahoma, it's a hundred dollars. California is the worst and it's almost 900, but it's something that it's worth every single penny separates your liability, your legal and um, your legal and your personal liability and assets from one another. That's the first thing. The second thing that you need to think about because contracts are, because you're in such a service, you're working with clients. So, so intimately, obviously contracts are what typically come up, but from a, taking it from a step back and looking at your business as a whole, you need to be thinking about your intellectual property. If your business is named anything other than your personal name, So your last name, technically, according to U.S. law, you need to consider having a trademark in place. The reason why is because until you trademark something, you don't own it. And that's it's not just because it feels good to own something. The reason why this actually matters is because if somebody comes along and likes your business name or just has a business name that is even remotely close to yours, that could raise a likelihood of confusion with your name, arguably, mm-hmm. they can force you to rebrand your business. And even worse, they can force you into a position where you have to sign a settlement agreement and pay a licensing fee to continue using your business name for, you know, just a mere $20,000 a year or something. I've seen this quite a few times and it's disgusting to watch, but it happens. Mm-hmm. So trade, you need to consider trademarking your business name. That is, um, It's something that you need to consider from day one, but just to be completely transparent with everybody listening, it takes a while. It's not a fast process. So this is something that 
takes right now about a year to complete. Wow. Um, and it's not a, the cheapest process in the world, but at the end of the day, it's going to end up, you don't want to be in a position where you're forced to pay a graphic designer to go through and all of everything that goes into just changing your brand identity, all of the marketing that you put in, all of that, it adds insult to injury to have to pay to rebrand everything that you don't want to have to rebrand. So right, exactly like the way that a contract operates within your business, a trademark, the investment of a trademark is going to pay off on the backside. Right. So. Okay. And how do you go about trademarking your business name? This is something that I highly highly recommend you do not do by yourself because it requires so much legal strategy. I see a lot of really bad advice floating around in Facebook groups in particular of people saying, Oh, I just trademarked it myself. And typically they do it wrong. Um, It's just, there's a a high amount, like I have to pay extra liability insurance if that tells you anything to be Mm -hmm. a trademark attorney. (laughs) So there's a high amount of strategy that is involved with it. Um, so reach out to an attorney to at least see what your options are, um, and re, you know, reach out to multiple attorneys if you'd like to, but this is when I was talking about LLCs earlier, just to be completely transparent, I'm, I tell people all the time to go form their LLC on their own. You can, you can hire an accountant or a lawyer to do it, but you can also, you're capable of doing it yourself. Right. Trademarking is, I am explicitly saying the exact opposite. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Those are two really helpful tips. I'm really glad that you talked about the difference between the LLC and the, I think S Corp is what it's called. Just because like lots of people ask that question. I even have that question Mm -hmm. and it's just a good thing to know, just like literally to know for the future that LLC definitely protects you more. Um, and yeah. Can I add just, uh, just one thing real quick to that? Cause, um, yeah. you mentioned S corp actually, which was something I meant to bring up. Um, okay. so what I was talking about was the difference between a sole proprietor and an LLC. Yes. Okay. But yeah. that, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I, again, I, I wanted to bring that up. An S corporation is a tax election that an LLC can make. Okay. So, <clears throat> which the vernacular is extremely confusing. But in the eyes of the IRS, when you file a certain form to become an S corporation, they tax you like a business rather than like an individual. Um, so once you're making, a, I, I'm a not, a, not a tax attorney, not an accountant, and tax laws are always changing. But once you're making at least $20,000 of profit every year, you need to ask your accountant when it's best for you to file to become an S corporation, because that's something that's going to be able to save you money. Okay. Refer to your accountant's advice. That is, that is who you should listen to, but just know just as a tripwire in your brain, when, when you reach okay. that 20, cause I've heard everything from 20 to 40,000 in terms of okay. when you start saving money. Um, so just to be conservative when you start making around 20,000, ask your accountant when you should start thinking about being an S corporation. Cool. Well, I'm glad I made that mistake because that's, (laughs) that's a great thing to know. Awesome. Save money with the law sometimes. Exactly. (laughs) Cool. Well, this was a really awesome episode. I'm so glad that you were able to come on before I peace out. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find your templates and all of that? Absolutely. So And thank you again for having me. This was a a really fun conversation and I appreciate Mm -hmm. you asking so many good questions. So you can find my law firm at pageholse.com. I got very creative in naming my law firm. It is Pageholse Law. (laughs) (laughs) So you can find me at pageholse.com and my Instagram is page.hulse. And then the creative law shop, which I've mentioned a few times, that was the spinoff from the law firm. We have at this point around 85 contracts, I believe I'm about anyways, between 80 and 90 contracts, um, that I've written all for either myself or my own clients just redacted our names from them. And, um, they're all available at shopcreativelaw.com. You can find that on Instagram at creative law shop. So, okay. and those are the templates again, that I literally 
like I pulled one right before this, this call. I use them myself all the time. Right. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, th- yeah. Those are going to be really good resources for our listeners. Don't forget to head on over to photovisionprints.com to claim your free roll of their signature process and scan service using the code OSHOOT. And be sure to check out their library full of photography tips on their website. Thanks so much to Paige for coming on today's episode. And I hope that everyone has a great rest of their day. Expose my mind to clarity Oh, my spirit shudders Capture the moment, oh, to keep my sanity The wisdom rushing in So much clear